so the title of this talk in part stems from a conversation I had with the Afrofuturist artist, John Jennings, who with his collaborator, Stacey Robinson, is rightfully lauded for his Black Kirby visual art project that reimagines comics legend Jack Kirby's work through an Afrofuturist lens. As you can see from this stunning illustration, Jennings and Robinson are celebrating the superhero genre while also critiquing the whiteness of superhero narratives. And their work is anchored in the bold stylings of Kirby's art while articulating the freedom dreams of past, present, and future Black creators. When it comes to analyzing technology from a Black perspective, I love the concept of Afrofuturism for its utopian aims for the recovery of back, Black aesthetics paired with the transgressive resistive, resistive politics speak to the urgent desires of Black folk to be seen as technological subjects rather than as Black technical, technical objects. I see Black technoculture, or as the subtitle for this talk is, Race in a Technocultural Matrix, uh, as a complementary conceptual framework to Afrofuturism, but it's one that tries to understand the beliefs that power the libidinal econ economies of digital practice, digital technologists, digital practitioners, and digital infrastructures. While I was thinking through my own approach to Blackness and technology, I found myself captivated by the image of Morpheus, or as this talk is titled, Black Morpheus, as an avatar of my Afro-optimist perspective on computers and society. Before we had Wakanda, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, as an Afrofuturist spectacle, we had the Blackness of the Matrix. The Matrix movies are really no longer part of our zeitgeist, with one major exception, the Red Pill, which was offered by Morpheus to Thomas Neo Anderson so that he could get free. The scene featuring the choice to take the red pill has Morpheus saying, take this pill and you can stay in Wonderland and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. This concept of the red pill has been enthusiastically taken up by men's rights activists, gamer gators, the Boogaloo movement, the ones who are attempting to uh, uh, kidnap the governor of Michigan and other fundamentalist white supremacist terrorist organizations and militias. They see the red pill, particularly in this technological uh, fan is the matrix as symbolizing an awakening, one that allows them to peer behind the veil of conspiracies such as feminism, social justice and Islamic culture, which they see as antithetical to the technical and cultural aims of whiteness and masculinity, right? Today, however, I'd rather talk to you about the blue pill. Morpheus, black Morpheus, as I love to call him, was conceived by the Wachowskis based upon Neil Gaiman's uh, Morpheus or Dream in the Sandman graphic novels. If you've ever seen Gaiman or the graphic novels, you know that uh, the image of Morpheus in these novels and in Greek mythology is this pale, thin, ethereally white man with black hair, very lanky, right? Who kind of drifts through his environments. As a counterpoint, uh, you know that Lawrence Fishburne's embodiment of Morpheus or the guardian of sleep is much more than a palette swap, right? It's not just switching black for white. To, his, to this role, he brought the viscerality of black cool, a technologized swagger, right? As the leader of the resistance. Unfortunately, at the time, and probably still, his arc in the movies across the trilogy was heavily critiqued as he seemed to serve as a magical Negro whose primary role was finding an actual savior, the white passing biracial Keanu Reeves. Right. 
However, I want you to focus on Morpheus as we first meet him in 1999. I half jokingly refer to him as one of the first proponents of wokeness, right? And the matrix indeed is a dreaming. In Morpheus words, if you take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and you believe in what you wanna believe. In the fictional world of the matrix, Morpheus Afrofuturist ethos leads naturally to the idea that once you are awakened to the subjugation you endure, you can then uh, take on the role of blackness as resistance to modernity, capitalism, and the white supremacist racial project. But I'd like to ask you to co instead consider the lure, the, the uh, very real possibilities of the blue pill. I see it as a choice to believe what you wanna believe and in the process, the blue pill represents the everydayness of black technoculture. This cultural moment is indeed a massively multiplayer online role-playing game with no instruction book, lots of traps, ways to spend money that you don't really have on items that are really cosmetic in nature, and even as it is imbued with historical and political legacies of racism, but that is not all that it has to be. I envision the blue pill as an Afro-optimist elixir, not a cure, right? But something, it will not solve the problematics of racism, but it offers those who choose to imbibe the capacity to make this reality livable, imbued with purpose and joy in a culture and society that wants to reduce black folk to a data point or an abstraction to be commodified. Where the red pill reifies Charles Mill's epistemology of ignorance that so accurately characterizes whiteness as identity and technology is social panacea, the blue pill offers an acceptance while opening us up for a critique of where we are right now. So the other reason why I love the matrix as a, a framework and an allegory is here before you. This is my black technocultural matrix with the qualities of blackness, intersectionality, invention and style, America, modernity and the future. And I'll come back to this later on, but I just wanted to give you a sense of where I'm going to end after I talk my talk about whiteness, technoculture, and to a lesser extent, libidinal economy and Afro uh, optimism, right? Uh, these, uh, this is an epistemological standpoint, right, from which to see the racial balances of Western technoculture. So let me define what I'm working with here so that we can discuss from the same understandings. And I'll reiterate them as I go, but I want you to at least see where, I head, where I'm headed. When I say libidinal economy, I'm specifically thinking about Barth. So you Deleuze and Guattari people, y'all can go fish. Not there today. We're much more on the Larry side, the leotard side of libidinal economy. I'll explain that later. When I say technoculture, I'm usually envisioning the internet, the digital and computation. Although technology has a much wider definition, I am an information studies person and an information science PhD. So I tend to think in terms of the internet as an information space, not as a market, not as a medium, but as a space for the transfer of information between entities, computers, people and institutions. By all rights, I should say cyber culture, but that word has a connotation where technology practice gets lost in the sauce. So for this presentation, I'm limiting technology, right? And technoculture, not just to the digital, which is certainly a nebulous concept, which we can argue about later, but more specifically to information technologies used for communication, such as the computer and the internet. So uh, to begin, 
to, so I can take you down the path of how I got to the, that matrix that I just showed you. Let me start with one of my favorite authors, uh, Arnold Pacey. And Arnold Pacey in 1904 wrote a book called The uh, Culture of Technology. And in it, he proposes a tripartite formulation of technology. Um, and so he thinks of it in three parts. Let's see if I can get my animations to work. Animation one, yes. The artifact or uh, I'm sorry, the technical aspect, or uh, which in my work I call the artifact, which covers the material and code aspects of any particular technological um, uh, experience, phenomenon, whatever you'd like to call it, right? Pacey also included the practices of there, but it felt kind of messy. So uh, I pretend that I prefer to think of practices as part of organizational. Right, the organization that the interface does to, to corral you, to apprehend you as a user, but also the organizational uh, aspects of where these devices are designed, where they're manufactured, and the, the color politics, the racial politics that happen, the capitalistic politics that happen in there, right? The marketing, the investors, the Silicon Valley culture and the like, well, we haven't got to culture yet, but the investors and the financial transactions and the regulatory authorities that also govern whether your iPhone has the correct radios to access 5G and therefore give you the coronavirus, right? I'm joking, 5G does not give you coronavirus. The last part is belief, right? And this part is the most interesting to me. And for Pacey as well, Pacey noted that uh, culture is the least examined aspect of any technology phenomenon because we only focus on, come on, animations, there we go, what the technology is or how the technology works, right? Uh, and so by focusing on these instrumental and functional analyses of technology, we often tend to miss how we understand ourselves when we use it, except those technologies also have their own beliefs embedded within them that we are encouraged to buy into, right? Um, to understand race, or in this, this case, blackness and the digital, Casey's concept easily transposes for me in digital blackness. I'm sorry, distributed blackness. The instrumental artifact, as I mentioned last slide, would be code, interface, protocols, practices, hardware, networks, right? While the organizational would be the industries and regulatory authorities producing, distributing, controlling the information being transmitted or content, right? cultural part, for those of you who have read my Black Twitter work, are the cultural discourses of digital practitioners. And I'm specifically um, expanding my definition from Black Twitter, where I talked about signifying as a um, digital practitioner discourse, right? Because I'm also thinking of um, Whitney Phillips and Ryan Milner's work on memes and uh, trolls, right? Where trolls have specific cultural practices often embedded in toxic masculinity and misogyny, right? That they think they're performing for fun, right? And that fun is in and of itself a part of a certain uh, performance of a technical, a digital identity, right? So this approach, this tripartite formulation of technology and the associated methodology, which I am not discussing today unless you ask in the, in the, the Q and A, which is critical technocultural discourse analysis, are immensely fruitful when examining beliefs about race or black folk and technology practice. Because across this modern era, we have never been understood as, we've always been understood as objects, never as subjects. When black folk pick up technologies, they are often seen from a deficit perspective. We don't deserve to have luxury goods. 
we're not educated enough to use these goods, we're, we can't afford these goods, or our moral deficiencies lead a, should instead turn us away from leisure and towards a productive experience. And these beliefs often get written into technology design. Sophia Noble's work, as well as um, uh, Mar Hicks and Kathy O'Neill and, and um, Sarah Roberts focus on the ways that beliefs about people get written into the technologies we use today. So I'm also drawn to the Matrix movie. And those of you who are Matrix nerds like me may recognize this scene from um, the second Renaissance part one, because I've been working hard to unpack the matrix upon which my black te technoculture is based. This is the Western technocultural matrix. Right? And I call it a libidinal matrix because it outlines the beliefs that fall behind technoculture. And I should have, and I should be more explicit about technoculture. Technoculture is the relationship between people, technology, and the world, particularly for the United States, where technology is seen as the way in which we are masterful over the natural world and of other people. And that's not just a United States issue, that's a Western issue, right? Uh, so when I'm when I say I'm interrogating technoculture, these are the beliefs that I'm looking to understand, right? Or at least to see how they're being embedded and enacted in the technologies we use every day. And this is Joel Dienerstein's matrix. And he says that Western technoculture is progress, religion, whiteness, modernity, masculinity, and the future, right? This matrix interrogates technology as an abstract concept in order to tease out the libidinal tensions that are ordinarily unseen, right? Um, Technology is foundational to the American project, the Western project. The pilgrims rationalize their genocidal and imperialistic takeover of the new world based on their perception of European agriculture as superior to indigenous cultivation and husbandry, right? So I think that these tensions all really revolve around whiteness, right? It's easy to say modernity. I think political economy and other focus, other uh, theoretical frames really focus on the class or capitalistic aspect. But I think whiteness is the overwhelming uh, superstructure that, that guides all of these particular principles, right? And so I argue that for Western technoculture, these other five characteristics besides whiteness could easily be substituted as the qualities of white folk. Indeed, W.B. Du Bois argues as much in his book, Dusk of Dawn. When tied to technoculture, white racial ideology reserves the quality of control using these beliefs over enterprise, over the spirit, over the future and the world, and deems them as norms for technology use. So um, in, my, in my other life, I am a social scientist, an interpretive social scientist, if you will. And so I needed to operationalize belief. And as I mentioned earlier, I seized upon libidinal economy as a way to operationalize how belief informs the very practical uh, machineries and processes that we understand as modernity. Uh, so libidinal economy for me offers a powerful counter to cultural theory, to social science, and to political economic theories used to analyze both black agency and information technology uses. For example, social scientific analyses of the internet are often beholden to concepts of objectivity and rationality, even as they are undergirded by Western beliefs about black folks perceived capacities for deviance and deficit, right? And I'm thinking here specifically of Virginia Ube's work on automating, automating inequality where social workers were using algorithmic tools that automatically had built, that were had built in 
preconceived notions about the people that they were intending to serve, many of them brown and black. Uh, alternatively, poli uh, political economy and cultural theory glorifies black capacities for labor and political resistance. So when it came to black Twitter, black Twitter only really became legible uh, to the mainstream and to black people when it became used as a tool to promote uh, awareness of social injustice. Prior to that, black people were just playing or was just, you know, it wasn't something serious. They just didn't really understand what they were doing. Right? So libidinal economy for me makes clear the affective tensions undergirding modernity and Western technoculture, but also provides a path towards conceptualizing black technology use, my interest, as a space for mundanity, banality, and the celebration of making it through another day. The libidinal is not precognition, nor is it pre-intention. Instead, it can be understood as the combustion powering the engine, a visceral, powerful, and necessary component in any figuration. It is infrastructure. Right, invisible to our perceptions, just like the materials and processes that we pass by or utilize every day until a rupture occurs. Right. So libidinal economic framework for black technoculture allows for the teasing apart of the multi-layered reasons behind black digital practices, distribution, performance, and aggregation across digital and material social structures. Black folk use technology and black folk use technologies not designed for or about them in ways that confound traditional technology analyses. And this approach is intended to redress the shortcoming. Oh, I don't read slides. I guess I should have said that from the beginning. Good luck with that. Okay, so let me talk for a minute. Let me explain a little bit more what I mean about whiteness as technoculture. In distributed blackness, I argue that the internet should be understood as an enactment of whiteness through the interpretive flexibility of whiteness as information, right? Not the performance, Right, because performance has this connotation that something is not authentic about it. You're acting. By enactment, I'm pulling on J.L. Austin's things we do with words to say that the things that people do in the process of navigating the world are in and of themselves uh, 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 dialectic, right, of how they understand their relationship to the world and the objects and the processes they navigate. Okay. So when I say the interpretive flexibility of whiteness is information, I mean that white folks' communications, letters, and works of art are rarely understood as white. Instead, they become universal, particularly if they're inscrutable, right, and are understood as communication, literature, and art. So this slippage allows for a near infinite variety of signifiers for li linguistic and aesthetic concepts absent the specific racial modifiers centering them in white American culture. From this perspective, Western technoculture and the information and communication technologies that we enjoy, right, like Zoom, has an inordinate role in shaping the internet experience in many online environments. General interest websites, applications, and social media, social media services target unnamed, unraced, and often ungendered users, but inevitably are represented through white bodies, white con middle-class conduct, and white cultural commonplace. Right. And I think as an aside, uh, this has become immediately obvious in the United States as we struggle with uh, using video conferencing tools like Zoom uh, for remote learning. And what has become immediately obvious is that for black and brown children, the absence of their bodies from the carceral environment of higher of K through 12 education has led to a ramping up of the surveillance and uh, 
uh, disciplinary practices that teachers will employ in them to control them and make them receptive subjects. So one egregious example, a young boy was playing with a Nerf gun uh, while he was in his home at his house by himself and the teacher called the police on him, right? And he was actually charged with bringing a replica gun to school, right? And so that doesn't necessarily map on to, that might not clearly map on to blackness for many of you, but I think it's, I think I can make the claim and I hope you will accept the claim that his race plays a large part in the perception of threat and the perception of deviance and the perceptions of not performing according to certain expectations that a white student with a gun would not have necessarily experienced. So another example of white technoculture uh, is, uh, comes from Kate Crawford's really well-known article on Normcore, right? Uh, Kate Crawford is a researcher at um, Microsoft Research and MIT. And uh, about five or six years back, she presented this compelling concept to explain how people were adopting to the increasingly personalized reality of mass surveillance as mass consumerism. And uh, she, she calls it Normcore. It's not exactly her term. Uh, she uh, found it in marketing materials from this consum consumer research group called K-Hole, uh, which makes me giggle every time because if I remember correctly, the K-Hole is what happens when you use ketamine, but I digress. Right. So K-Hole coined this term Normcore to describe how millennials, the actual ones, not the Gen Z folk that we teach, evade the all-seeing eye of the surveillance camera right, by finding freedom in being nothing special or in more practical terms, dressing non-ironically like entertainment district tourists. Right. So Cahill's claim contradicts our, okay, my often sarcastic labeling as millennials as special little snowflakes, right? And in the process signals an awareness by this demographic that their vaunted individuality can lead to increased legibility for a carceral algorithm. And as an example of Normcore, I have this lovely graphic behind this quote that I pulled from the, the uh, Kate Crawford's article. And for those of you who are gamers, you may immediately recognize this. This is an avatar creator for a game that's uh, just recently released called Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate represents a medieval European experience imbued with magic and steampunk technology and all kinds of fantasy elements. Uh, that you can that you cast yourself upon as a solo adventure, and to uh, begin your immersion into the game, you are subjected to this character developer, which allows you literally thousands of combinations. You could be purple with horns, with spiky ears, tattoos on your face, fangs for teeth, and everything else. But what the developers of the game found when they surveyed the statistics, here's more surveillance, when they surveyed the statistics from Steam, seeing what types of characters people were creating, this image you see behind the quote is the combination of the most chosen features, right? So the, the ways that K-Hole describes um, finding freedom and being nothing special becomes actualized. Here's a game where you have multiple possibilities for being the most fantastic creature. You can be an elf, you can be a dwarf, you can be a tiefling, whatever that is. You can be a hobbit, right? You can be an ogre, you can be a black person, right? They have actually really good hairstyles in this game, which is not something that always happens. But the vast majority of people, and this is a well-selling game, chose to make something that looks just like this white guy on the screen, 
right? This is what I think makes, this makes a really compelling example to me for the overwhelming influence of whiteness as technoculture. When you have all the possibilities in the world, but you settle on making something that fits your representation of what a heroic masculine adventure could be. Oh, they have gender in here as well, multiple genders, right? This is still what they came up with, right? So I find this concept fascinating in part because how does normcore work for black people, right? How do we dress so that we are uh, unable uh, to blend in to crowds so that we are not surveilled? Um, my friend and colleague Ramona Morrow has an answer for this, right? Um, he argues that in this technocultural world, black people are objects to be acted upon rather than agents or people with subjectivity. And he's right, he wrote about uh, Joy Bulawamimi's uh, uh, Aspire Mirror uh, technology project, right? Where she was seeking to make black folk visible to computer vision because she found as she assembled the, the libraries necessary and the technologies necessary to build a algorithm for seeing faces, her face was never visible. She had to go so far as to build a white mask shaped to the contours of her face so that her body would register on the camera vision that she was trying to develop, right? And he notes that as computer vision modeled as it is upon among other things, photographic benchmarks prioritizing white skin under certain light, say the infamous Playboy model picture from a, a, in a bikini from the mid 1970s, right? But also upon internally represented been internally represented models of objects previously known to the computer system. The problem is when your workforce is diverse and the images that they consume and, and prefer to see are of themselves, the images that are known to the system are the images that are known to the designers. And those are overwhelmingly white faces, right? So this system couldn't recognize black faces at all. And you've heard of this you know, the last few years or so, uh, soap dispensers that couldn't see black hands when they're waved under them and, and things like that, right? Um, and so if you want more specific details, I can give you the URL to the article. Ramon is a, is a computer engineer, I am not, right? But regardless, darker skinned people, uh, darker skinned black people are in, illegible to these sensors, which should be recognized as a boon for people already over-policed in any number of institutions. Instead, Amaro writes, Bulo Mimi's desire to be seen by these computational systems unwittingly links black pathology with technology, creating a black technical object that will be acted upon in a carceral capacity, captured if you will, uh, because this visual matrix doesn't maintain any connections to historical category, stereotype or moral imaginary, but the systems in which it will be mounted do. So for me to argue for black technoculture, it became necessary to interrogate the ways that black, black folk want to be interpolated into the technological systems that we exist within, largely not through our own choice, right? But also as we wanna be agents and subjects in our own right, utilizing technical artifacts, services and platforms in this social historical context. Western technoculture by design embeds anti-blackness as a moral capacity of technoculture and no ethical inf uh, implementation, not the week of ethics in your four-year computer science curriculum, not the outreach that, you, that tech companies have by hiring some black folk and then either sticking them in HR or letting them wash out with, because they don't have the support systems. None of those things will fix the embeddedness of anti-blackness within Western technoculture. 
the libidinal tensions of racial ideologies, categorization, categorization, classification, and moral correlation of blackness as commodities of racial capitalism must clearly be understood as techno-cultural artifacts and ideological mainstays of this technological moment rather than the supposedly repellent activities of individuals. Because if America is so good and civilized, why do bad things keep happening to black folk? So reorient te technoculture to interrogate culture, right? For my work to incorporate blackness invites an inquiry into the possibilities of blackness as technology. But going back to Amaro's question, how to articulate a black presence in a technoculture designed around their chattel origins and political depth? To that, we return to my Afro-Optimist matrix. This is the black technocultural matrix, and I've read the qualities too before, but I like saying them, so I'll say them again. Blackness, intersectionality, invention and style, America, modernity, and the future. And I came to this in part because I argue that racial groups like ethnic groups are not formed in isolation. They are always formed in context and conversation and dialectic with another culture. There is no culture that exists within a vacuum, right? So in many ways, Black people are as American, if not more so, than any, anyone else who has citizenship in this country, right? And so some of the terms ended up overlapping in terminology, not necessarily in intent. The reason why I have America in there and asterisks is because I wanted to leave this framework open for those researchers who are not originating from the American concept or even the Canadian concept, right, of blackness in, on, in North America. So the black Brits, right, or the colonized and imperialized countries of Africa, right, who are still dealing with their own legacies of colonial domination or the Caribbean. I think, who was it, the Bahamas or Bermuda that is finally declaring its independence from the Commonwealth? Right. And so these things, I feel like those different iterations of black of blacknesses uh, interpolation with whiteness and its various forms yields different kinds of blackness. But in many ways, you can see these other qualities make manifest themselves in pretty much everything they do. Right. So what is the mythos of black technoculture? It cannot it cannot just be limited to anti-racism. I stress throughout distributed blackness that racism is not the sole defining characteristic of black identity. Neither can black technoculture be confined to black middle-class aspirations of achieving the franchise or economic parity with Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? I also hold tightly to the belief that social justice activism should not be the epitome of black digital practice. Online activity and activism is simply the most visible and appropriate manifestation of online blackness to the mainstream. I believe that this theory of black technoculture is necessary for the articulation that information and communication technology affords blackness space within which it can luxuriate and grow, enclaved from, enclaved from, but never free from white racial ideology, right? We need our own. The possibility exists because of the disembodiment enabled by the digital's virtuality and simulation. That is, when participating in an online space, Blackness lives as an existential here, largely unrestricted by the fixity and pejorative reduction of the Black body that occurs offline. Online, I am not only a point of view, but I am also a point that is viewed. Right. So in the interest of time, I'll only discuss one of these uh, qualities, although we can return to them in the Q&A if you wish. So blackness for this matrix 
stands for the embodied and critical valences of Black cultural identity revolving around subjectivity and cultural production using uh, media and digital technologies. Blackness should be seen as the communitarian enactment of intentionally being Black regardless of context across cultural aspects of Black culture. Yes, that means I have to recognize that Candace Owens is Black. That's my own personal cross to bear. Along the way, Blackness highlights how the white Western libidinal economy of anti-Blackness, the belief in logic and rationality that excludes Black folks' excess of life, right, structures the world that Black Americans find themselves in. As a counter, the Black epistemological standpoint begins with the celebration of Black thought, not the rapper, not solely as joy, but in the fact that we exist despite everything that's been levied against us, right? It is at once a response to the effects of modernity and white supremacy on the Black psyche and a politics of the erotic, engaging with honest bodies that like to also fuck. Where whiteness gains power from obscuring its internal differences, Blackness is a recognition of that which makes Black folk different together. Or, as MacArthur genius Fred Moten writes, Blackness is irreducibly social, even as it celebrates life in the cemetery of social death. In closing, don't worry, I got a lot more to say. My claims for Black technoculture are indebted to Gilroy's Black Atlantic, where he argues that analyses of Black modernity require attention to the formal attributes of expressive culture and a distinctive moral basis, right? The aesthetic which the continuity of expressive culture preserves derives not from dispassionate and rational evaluation of the artistic object, no, 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 but from an inescapably subjective contemplation of the meaning-making functions of artistic performance. And I read this in the context of internet and information studies as a plea for researchers to interrogate the mimetic functions of digital media practice or digital or technology design, right? Information and communication technologies do not just serve as unthinking conduits for cultural expressions, but are inextricably linked through enactment as part of the performance itself. So we can understand then information and technologies as conduits and enactments of white identity as well. This has never been more clear since the ascendancy impeachment and infection of the 45th American president whose Twitter activities have been translated into executive orders, surveillance mandates, employment injunctions, domestic and foreign policy, and even uh, uh, taking over of functions of the legislative and judicial branches of the government, right? As with other examples of white xenophobia, classism, and racism, classism, racism, and misogyny, it's tempting and depressingly common to attribute 45 social media presence to the actions of a deviant individual. But 45 would not be possible without the political and cultural infrastructure that undergirds his performance and refuses to police his actions, right? So as the groundbreaking Afrofuturist speculative fictions of Watchmen, Lovecraft Country, and Get Out show, this is the America that Black folk dreamed of. But apart from the election of a Black president, little has changed since its inception. Thank you. <laughs>